Welcome to A Rabbi and a Lawyer Walk Into a Bar, a podcast with relatively well-informed and irreverent musings on religion, news, and society. And now, for your hosts, Rabbi Asher Lopatin and John Geringer. Hey, Asher. Hey, John. It's been so long. It's been so long that we have to reminisce about our satyrs. Oh, my goodness. And you know, since we're counting the Omer, we know that that was at least 18 days ago, 19 days ago, whether the first or the second Seder. Yeah, a long time ago. But we haven't seen each other since then. Very exciting. So I'll start. How were your Seders? They were great. We had the 30 people over the first night and uh, typical food flying all over the place, all sorts of crazy fun guests, one of whom is an opera singer for the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. And I actually made her sing for her dinner. And she sung to us in, I forgot how many languages. She knew Russian, but we all decided collectively that we wouldn't sing in Russian. And it was fantastic. Oh my gosh, that's great. Well, we actually had small satyrs. The first one was like nine people. And then the second one was just the two kids who are in town in Michigan and Rachel and me. And so it was small. But you know, the amazing thing about the Haggadah and the Seder is that they were great. They went till after midnight. They're fun. You know, you have so much material and such a good discussion. So even with a small crowd, you can have a great time. We didn't have an opera singer, but we did have a a former cantor. And yeah, he did a couple of pieces that were very nice. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our, our second one was a was a little bit smaller, but it was it was great too. The the, the hostess who who led it was actually very good. She's a yoga instructor, so you can imagine slightly different vibe than mine. <laughs> the amazing thing also in our synagogue, we have a small synagogue anyway, but so many of the families went to Israel and did only one Seder because even traditionally, the frumest, the most religious people in Israel still do only one Seder because they only one day of the holiday in the beginning and one at the end. Versus our outside of Israel, two in the beginning and two at the end. And many of them were very, very happy to do only one Seder. But I love two Seders. So, and so does Rachel, you know, because then whatever you didn't do in the first Seder, you know, you don't feel that pressure because you can do in the second Seder. Yeah, I'm fine with chopping off all the second day stuff except for Pesach. (laughs) Right, right. It's also interesting, the reform movement, which really basically does do one day, meaning one holiday at the beginning. There, they cheat. They do two seders a lot, and they do, sometimes they do two days of Rosh Hashanah. So it's interesting. I'm a big advocate that we who live outside of Israel and don't have that beautiful feeling and air and spirit of Israel, because in Israel, you really do feel the holidays, Passover, all the holidays, Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah, by Sukkot, the holiday of the, of the tabernacles. But yep. in, in America, you know, you don't just walk outside and feel Passover. In fact, going to synagogue, we walk by Star Bakery and it's not, it's Jewish, but it's not kosher. And they're selling uh, chametz. They're selling challah all the time, all through Beza. So since we don't feel that atmosphere, I don't mind having two days of holiday to really try to really pull us into kind of almost a cocoon of Passover of holidays. And coming up 
in about a month and a half, we'll have less than that. We'll have Shavuot. That's also two days in America, one day in Israel. And again, I'm happy to have that little cocoon that gives us a little bit more time to really feel the holiness of these days and to get away from the, you know, the world that we love and that we're a part of, but to really have our own space. Well, yeah, we may not have felt Pesach from the outside, but I definitely felt it on the inside, if you know what I mean. <laughs> by, by that eighth day, I was ready to oh, get yeah. some bread in me. Let's just leave it at that. Can you believe I had that night after the eighth day, I had matzah and chicken soup. I still had shimura matzah, you know, that the handmade burnt. So wow. That's a bold move. <laughs> I had an eight o'clock meeting the next morning. So I was very careful what I ate to break the Pesach with because it could have gotten ugly. Anyway, enough about that. You mentioned Omer earlier, right? So the good news, we talked about it last time. I am still Omer compliant. I have said it each and every of the 18 days up until today's date. My question to you is, have you ever forgotten to count? So one time, I'm really been very good about it. One time I was traveling so much and I didn't even remember whether I remembered. You know, like you always go back to your car. Did we lock the door? Did we lock the door? You know, and whatever. Rachel, my wife, assured me, Asher, I am sure you count and you remembered. So we'll take it that I remembered once. And then another time, actually, when you're in a period of mourning after, like my father, tonight, actually, when we're recording this, is the your side, is the anniversary of my father's passing. So before you bury your deceased, the close relative, in a period where you're not allowed to do mitzvot, you're not allowed to do commandments. It's an onane. And therefore, we have this. So I didn't miss a day of the Omer because my father died on the on the 18th day of the Omer. Somehow, and as you're saying, John, that the even though most of all the authorities say, don't worry, if you miss a day, you miss two days, keep counting all the way to 49. But the Ilho Gedola, one of the important German Ashkenazi authorities of the medieval period, says, no, if you miss a 24-hour period, you're basically stuck and you can't count anymore. You're, you've done. You've lost it. Like so. But there is that year, because it wasn't my fault, really, it was because of just like the, the law said I couldn't count for that day. So I think I was able to get back on the Omer train. But... I've been pretty good. Second Seder is the first night of the Omer. The second day of Passover is the first night. And Nebuch, some people, like, they forget it. So that's why it's, it's in some Haggadahs. It's in there. So don't forget it on the first day. Well, the easiest days are on weekdays because now they have great apps to remind you, right? Right. And right. so it's always, if I miss it, it's usually because it's Friday night. And my app is not on. So last week, we or a few weeks ago, we talked about what the Omer is. It was this unit of measurement. And I guess it's 43.2 chicken eggs of volume of this barley, right? That they wow. that they brought in. And but we so we talked about that aspect of it. I don't think we talked about the morning M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G morning aspects of the Omer count. Why, why don't you tell us about those? Yeah, so that during this period, from a couple of layers of mourning, I would say three. First of all, from this period when the Omer started till the 33rd day, Lagba Omer, 
And then other people disagree and they say from the beginning of ER till Shavuot, but within 33 days, somewhere in this 49 day period of the Omer that stretches from the second night of Passover till the holiday of Shavuot, the students of Rabbi Akiva, thousands of them died. And it's not clear that they died in a plague. Did they die because the Romans killed them? Because Rabbi Akiva, it was one of the great fighters. He was the, the rabbi that supported Bar Kokhva in his rebellion in 130 CE against the Romans. The Talmud says that they died because they did not show respect for each other. Lonagu kavod Really interesting that these are the most brilliant students with 20,000 chavruto, 40,000 students, they didn't show respect for each other. Such a, what a message for today where people are so passionate about their views. Where's the respect that we show for each other? How those lessons aren't learned. You would think in rabbi school, Talmud school, yeshiva, wherever you're learning Jewish stuff, that the midos, the, the character traits between man and man should be first. And then later on, you can get to what an etrog is and all that other stuff. You would think that the person-on-person mitzvot would be front and center. Yeah, it's really, that wasn't a major part of my curriculum. So, (laughs) curriculum. But But you know your Talmud. But I, you know what, we try. And so that's first of all, so we're mourning for them. The other thing is that during this period from Passover to Shavuot, the whole 49 days, according to um, Genazic tradition, so the European-centered tradition, that's when the Crusades occurred in the 11th century and 12th century. And so many of Jewish communities in Germany and elsewhere in Europe were wiped out by the Crusaders. It's a sad period also that in particular we remember. And the third point is sort of just like, you know, we got out of Egypt, Passover, but we don't have the temple. We do not, the world is not, we're not out of the woods yet. Israel, Jewish people, the world, we are not out of the woods. And the fact that we don't have the Omer sacrifice anymore, uh, you know, that, what, a 43 egg thing is? 43.2. 43.2. It just shows Chicken eggs, us. Chicken eggs worth Chicken the egg. volume. They're not ostrich eggs and not pigeon eggs, but nope. but it, it sort of shows us it's not like, oh, we don't have that sacrifice. I'm so sad. It's that it shows that the world is not where it should be yet. And we haven't recovered and we haven't really fulfilled the potential of Exodus from Egypt and all that. It's a little sad because we're really the world is not where it should be. And really, if you read the paper, it's so depressing, you know, I don't want to be that depressing, but the world is not where it should be. So that's, those are kind of the layers of mourning that we have for the Omer. Typically, you don't go to live entertainment, you don't go to big parties, you don't do weddings, though, there are all sorts of customs, like when you can do a wedding, when you this, and you know, there are little leniencies. But in general, you don't have those big celebrations during this period. Well, you mentioned your father's yard site, and I wish I would have met him because I'm sure the apple didn't fall far from the tree. Tell us about yard site customs, because you know everyone knows about the candle, but is there anything else associated with yard site that you observe, or is it just just a focused day of remembrance? Well, interesting. I wrote uh, in some book, actually a tribute to Rabbi J.J. Schachter, 
a teacher of mine, that there's a little bit of disagreement amongst the Yartzeites. On the one hand, it's like a sad day. And so there and before, was... before we go on, Yartzeite Yiddish is year time. So the oh. year of the time of the passing of a loved one. John Geringer, your Yiddish-German comes in very handy. Um, <laughs> Not often, but here it does. On the one hand, you're sad, and so therefore there are customs where people have to fast on a yurt site. On the other hand, we believe that the soul goes even closer to God, and there's a statement that people make at a yurt site after you've prayed or something, they, neshama should have an aliyah, neshama, the soul should have an aliyah, should go up, like aliyah to Israel, go up. People greet you that way. And there is a custom to have a little uh, l'chaim, you know, to have a little drink a little bit. And uh, you say a blessing over the scotch. Hopefully it's scotch and not bourbon, but we can discuss that in a respectful way. Even if you do it over cake or something. So you say a blessing and a blessing is sort of a tribute to the deceased and really just says that, you know, hey, you're... Continuing the tradition of, in my case tonight, my father and whoever you have lost, that the tradition continues. So their legacy continues. So those are some of the, not too many customs that we have in synagogue. I don't know if you remember turning on those yurtzeit lights and on Shishala. Oh, sure. In the <laughs> 70s. Yeah, yeah, that's what you did. Yeah. <laughs> and then on, and then when a, a, a shul stopped functioning, you would have to transfer these monstrous walls filled with lights to yeah. a different synagogue. Yeah, we paid thousands of dollars for new circuits. The circus go out. I mean, David, David Passman is still, I can imagine, screwing in those light bulbs and being <laughs> in charge of that at Anshi Shalom. So shout out to David Passman. Right, like the old English guys who had the light, the the light, the street lights, you know, oh, that's yeah. that line. And, in the new Mary Poppins, yes, uh, instead of sweepers. <laughs> That's right. This episode, our podcast, a little bit. I don't want to be too much of a downer. And again, you know, I'm I'm looking at pictures of my of my father with my with my brother who also passed away, but with his grandkids, and you know, very happy moments and wonderful moments. I must say, the key thing is that. We we rise to the challenge of continuing the legacy of those that, that we left behind. And we just had last week Yom HaShoah, the day of remembering the Holocaust. And you know, we just have to Dana Bash was I just saw an episode of her or heard with Wolf Blitzer. They went to Auschwitz together and you know, continuing just we gotta continue that the legacy of those that we left behind. Did you do anything at your show to memorialize Yom HaShoah? I woke up at 5.30 a.m. to be on the local CBS station to talk about Yom HaShoah. So I ah, what'd you say? Well, you know, I said it's two, two parts. And John, I'd like you to talk more about this because you really are your child of a survivor. But I said that there are two, there's one part is remembering and not forgetting and look, remembering, you know, how, what the, the lead up to it not only in Germany, really, but in all of Europe. But the other thing is, what do I do about it now? What do I, you know, what does remembering the Holocaust get me to do different now, whether it's fighting anti-Semitism or hatred or creating that kind of society where that cannot happen? So those two aspects, remembering the history and then how do, what do we do moving forward? What about you, John? 
Well, I like to joke, you know, being a son of a survivor every day is Yom HaShoah, right? I don't, <laughs> I don't need no fancy special days for that. I was asked to do a commemoration for Ben Ferenc. I think we mentioned on the podcast before, he was 103 years old. He passed away the Friday of Pesach. And he was the youngest prosecutor in Nuremberg and oh, then became the oldest living one. He did the Eisens group in trial, the, the shooters before the concentration camps. And a little bit of humor here. I was asked to do an obituary for him to put in the Shul Bulletin, which I did. I basically based it off Dayenu. You know, I said, had he simply been the youngest prosecutor, Dayenu, it would have been good enough because this was Passover time. And it went through his entire amazing life history about he worked on the some of the German claims conference legislation. He had been there doing a statement in connection with the first person who was prosecuted under the International Criminal Court. And it went through all these things. And I said, Dianu every time. And I think the folks in the, the synagogue thought it was a poem. So they sent out this big blast to all the oh. all the members saying, a poem by John Geringer. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> beautiful. Said, it well, but it wasn't a poem and it didn't rhyme. And <laughs> but oh, that said, it was it, it was cool to be able to honor a, a person who is my hero, who has done so much for the cause, and who has now, you know, and he spoke about this many times. He talks about handing over the baton to a new generation. Yeah. And John, that's what you're doing. A lot of your work is continuing examining the law and continuing that work, no. Yes. In fact, just today, we were doing some training for some folks in Ukraine and Poland. They're investigators, they're prosecutors, they're judges in connection with teaching them lessons on war crimes, both from the Holocaust and from other war crimes tribunals, so they can continue the work they're doing against you-know-who, you-know-where. Yeah, you know, I'm just thinking of Evan Hershkovich, and who's been you know taken prisoner in Russia and held in prison unjustly. And we we say a prayer for him. It's just so, uh, such a scary time and such a violation. There's so many violations of human rights. And it's kind of ironic because I'm currently watching a movie called The Crew, The Flight, The Crew, The Flight. It's a Russian movie about a, not a very serious movie, but it's a real Russian movie. But so nothing against the Russian people, but a lot against what's going on. So we, we just detest the regime. Exactly, exactly, exactly. But you know, John, I have a question for you, and especially coming from your background as a child of a, a survivor. So I heard in our neighborhood, we, we live in Huntington Woods. It's a lovely little Jewish neighborhood. It's not all Jewish, but it's 60% of the homes have some Jew living in there. So <laughs> some kind of Jew, whether yeah. they know it or not. There you go. But near us, you know, within a mile or two, there apparently is the a building that has on it says the Fourth Reich, Reich Bikers Club. And they actually drew that SS sign with the right. red letters. Yeah. And it might be a bar. I don't know. And I'm wondering, first of all, should we publicize this or we don't want to give them oxygen? We don't want them to know. Or, But I'm kind of tempted to like go to them and say, hey, guys, what's going on? Why do you hate us? Come for a Shabbos dinner. I think that would be awesome for <laughs> now. I'd want you to wear a flak jacket if you did and maybe <laughs> bring a couple of friends with you. But look, I'm a big fan of confronting people, not not in a 
aggressive adversarial way, but just to say, hey, tell us, tell me what this is all about. As you know, my background's unique in that I have the German side of my family, my mom converted. So I've got the German side, some of whom fought on the wrong team in the war. You have to approach people where they are. And I think most people, if you approach them, they come from a good place. Now, these guys, if they've got, if they are outwardly in America in 2023, having SS ruins on their logo, that's a problem that, you know, do they have it on their like t-shirts or on their building or what is it? On their building, I think. And it reminds me of, remember the movie Slapshot? There was a yes. movie with Paul Newman, a hockey movie. Yeah, sure. And they, someone dressed up like a Nazi and, you know, this was in the seventies, I guess. It's like, oh, so funny. They were just dressing up like that to be sort of like Prince, right? The, the prince dressed up that way. Up until, up until probably Charlottesville, we could laugh about that. Yeah, yeah. And we can't anymore. And yeah. so those things have to be taken seriously. And I remember even when they made movies about American Nazis, you know, I thought that they must have been running out of bad guys because, right, you know, the right. Russians weren't the bad guys anymore. And there really weren't any terrorist attacks in America. So who's left? You know, it's always good to hate Nazis. But up until Charlottesville, you know, we talked about this many times. Uh, I didn't want to shout anti-Semitism where it wasn't there. But but nowadays, I mean, somebody who's that willing to be that open needs to be confronted either yeah. by law enforcement or I'd love to be the fly on the wall and come join you. Let's maybe we should do the podcast live from <laughs> the the fourth right bike club. Okay, there we go. There we go. Yeah, what look, could, what could possibly go wrong? I am just hopeful that these are just, just sort of people that want to that, that it's sort of shtick. But like you said, it's this is serious stuff. And but, you know, you've talked about and you want to bring people that have really start out hateful and have connected with Jews and with good people and have really turned a corner and have, you know, changed their ways. Yeah, I, I think we should celebrate those who have done tshuva, who have done repentance, and who've put either their their livelihood on the line, or in some cases, their life on the line for going against the grain and going against their fellow comrades. Those people should be celebrated. Unfortunately, they're few and far between. But I believe that, you know, we, I was talking about this with some some friends the other day, that we really should bring back national service. It doesn't have to be military. But one year of service so that you are you are thrown in the soup with right. people from different parts of the country, different religion, different skin colors, different everything, and be forced to confront them. And it's hard to hate people that you know. Right. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that's what Israel, one of the strengths of Israel has been the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces. And really, it was a, an amazing melting pot of people. And not melting that people have to give up their own traditions, but like you said, a way of encountering different people and diversity. And so that would be a great thing. Our organization, because I have a, on Shabbat, I'm a rabbi of a synagogue, but during the week, I'm at the Jewish Community Relations Council, American Jewish Committee, and yeah. we're trying to reach out to communities. And what, that's also what we do to connect to the Latino community and the African-American community, the Hindu community. But it's not easy. It's not always easy. Unfortunately, it, it's just that people are not, the communities are just not mixing up that much. 
Have you ever had a community or a group or a person where you've you've tried to reach out to and the, they just say, you're a Jew and I don't want anything to do with you? You know, not on a personal level. Like when I've gone into mosques or gone into churches or I don't know what's it, maybe it's Detroit. Everyone's been very warm. I've gone into the Chaldean community. This Sunday, we're going to do something with the Latino community, the Day of the Child. I've always felt a lot of warmth. There have been occasionally a politician or two that have not been responsive, that have not been wanting to do a kumbaya with me. But but in general, people, when I've seen them at an iftar or something, they've been very warm. Every, I don't want to be naive, but I think just like you're saying, that idea of just encountering people. And once you see that the person is a human being, you know, you feel differently. I wonder... And this is a real challenge. You know, we've talked a little bit about the IHRA definition of anti-Semitism, the International Holocaust Remembrance uh, Alliance. Which is terrible. I know you are, you know, that is like... Uh, and, and let me be clear, not the organization, the definition. No, no. <laughs> so it's interesting. I think, you know, you really have to speak out more because our organization, we're all about promoting it. So this one... Um, <laughs> Sorry. But, no, but, so, but what's interesting about that is that by its definition, there are some people that we probably want to work with and reach out to who, let's say it's in the Muslim or Arab American community or Palestinian community, might they might be against the, the right of Israel to exist. They don't like Israel, but, you know, whatever. And by IHRA definition, that's if you don't believe the Jews have a right to a state, you're an anti-Semite or you have anti-Semitic views. Or likewise, a lot of the people that we encounter, one person encountered, so nice, he said, yeah, but I saw on Netflix that the Jews and the Masons, they control the world, they control this, they control the banks. There are a lot of people that we might want to connect with who have anti-Semitic views. So what do we do with that? Like, do we say, no, I, I need a litmus test. You're not, if you hold an anti-Semitic view, I'm not going to partner with you. Or do we say, you know what? This is a crazy world. If you want to partner with me and you like me and all that, we're going to find what we can do. We have in common ground, even if you have, you know, you're what maybe by some definitions are anti-Semitic views. Right. Well, so let's do the definition again, just for those, you know, wanting to know at home. According to them, anti-Semitism is a certain perception of Jews, comma, which may be expressed as hatred towards Jews. Rhetorical and physical manifestations of anti-Semitism are directed toward Jewish or non-Jewish individuals and or their property, toward Jewish community institutions and religious facilities. That's just awful. <laughs> what, what, do, what, what is your objection to that, John? Well, it starts off by saying it's a certain perception of Jews. Right. So you're saying it's not clear. What is that perception of Jews? Right. And then it says, which may be expressed as hatred towards Jews. And then it gets to this muddled stuff. It just, it, it, there's no clarity there. And I get it. This is tough. This is tough stuff. But I bet you, you put the two of us in a room with a <laughs> bottle of scotch and we can come up with a much better definition. <laughs> so we'll, we'll work on this issue. And it's tough. To answer your question from before, I have found that people have been very warm and very welcoming and, and very positive. I'm an aspirational kind of guy. And, you know, and they might 
I remember when we flew to Dubai with some Muslim students and uh, an Arab American student, and we were stopped in Amman in Jordan at the airport. I had a wonderful experience there, but the Arab students said that behind me, they were all saying, why are you hanging out with this, these Jews? Why are you hanging out with this guy? You know what? So maybe behind my, my back, there's some things going on, but you know what? I'm going to continue. And, you know, we got it during this time of the Omer, where we're thinking of the Romans, the ancient Romans that fought us and then the Crusades. So we got everyone against us. We got to really try to, I think, be as positive as possible. I mean, the Abrahamic Accords are what, a year or two old? I mean, let's let's give it a little time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, it seems like now Israel's making deals with Turkmenistan. Is it Turkmenistan? Turkmenistan? Turkmenistan, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so we're, you know, and then Sudan, that is, was part of the Abraham Accords, is having trouble. So, okay, we'll see what happens with that. Those Look, it's, it's a complicated neighborhood they live in. And so, that makes that makes complicated friendships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, look, we are in a complicated world, and we have to figure out how we can both assert our identity. And I, I'm a proud Zionist, and proudly believe the state of Israel is the best thing to happen to the world, including Palestinians. But I'm also very interested in these relationships, and and I'm also interested in the Palestinian people. So yeah, it's a tough balance. So I wanna, I'm gonna challenge you one more, one more chuva, one more repentance question. Yeah. I had a person from occasionally we do have it. People in jail and prison reach out to us. We're the Jewish Community Relations Council, so occasionally we get this. I have one guy who reached out to me who uh, happens to be a convicted murderer. And it's kind of serious. Not like, you know, he's not like going out on for furlough like uh, Willie Horton, but- uh, There's a name I haven't heard in a while. <laughs> but he is, no, he's in jail for life. It's a life sentence with no parole. Wow. But he's reached out to me and he wants to, uh, you know, connect with a rabbi and he has, you know, and, and it's just very pleasant conversations and he- he had a Seder, a Passover Seder in prison. What are your, like, here's a guy who's like a murderer, and yet, just, is it business as usual? I think you have to separate, right? Like, if I'm putting on my rabbi hat, believe me, I'm not trying to invade your turf, but I think you have to have two mindsets that whatever his deal is with the family of the murdered is one bucket, and he's going to have to do that, right? I've heard, you know, talk about doing chuva with respect to murders, you know, that you can't, right? It's just, right. it's yeah, impossible. And whatever agreement he comes to the family, if he's ever willing to do that to them, and maybe you encourage that if he hasn't done that already, yeah. that's about as good as you can do there. Everything else, he's, you know, Salam Elohim, he's a, a piece of God, right? Each, each one of us, whether Jewish or not Jewish, you know, I think, our faith believes that, that each person yeah. has, you know, equal worth. E each person is unique. Each person has something to give, even in prison. So first of all, it's got to be interesting to have a Seder in prison when you talk about from slavery to freedom, when you know there's no physical freedom. But, right. you know, both I think our faith and my good friends, the Stoics, would tell you you can find freedom anywhere. And and then, you know, maybe your job is to convince him to be the best person he can be 
in the circumstances he's in. Maybe he can be a mentor to others at the jail. Right. Maybe he can not shank people. Right. <laughs> you know, you know, ha having been an intern at the Illinois Department of Corrections, I've seen the inside of some of those places. I've been hit on in those places. You know, those are scary places to be in. And I'm sure that, you know, you provide whatever lifeline sense of comfort that he can get nowhere else. Right. Well, that's actually very, that's very helpful, really, too. I, I hear also what you're saying about his, if he is on a road to tshuva, to some kind of repentance, but also the idea of that everyone has an image of God in them. That's why the, the law is even that a convicted murderer if they're hanged, they are, you have to take them down. You can't let them hang overnight. And that's where we really learn the laws of respecting for any human being. We try to have the burial as soon as possible, but it really starts from don't let a person convicted of a capital offense hang on the tree overnight, because that would be disrespectful to the image of God that's within them. So speaking of images of God, yeah. I see. Are you, are you are you looking at my face when you say I that on the am, Yes, I know there's a podcast that where it's all I'm you know, blushing. Audio, but <laughs> but I think you you showed me you went to a humanistic funeral. I think. Yeah, a good friend of mine from law school unfortunately passed away. I guess we're just we're doubling down on the sadness on this yeah. episode. Asher, I got to tell you that rough week. Just a wonderful human being. One of those people who. You know, the world is a darker place because he's not in it. But I, I'd never seen before they had a rabbi who was humanistic. And and you know more about it than I do, so I'd be curious your views. And they they said a humanistic Kaddish. So humanistic, apparently, I don't think they believe in God. I think they believe in some, I'm not quite sure. You, you know more about this than I do. Go ahead. Oh, well, I don't know. I, I do know that it started in Detroit, the Birmingham Temple. And there's still a successful synagogue. And but honestly, I think that they're a little bit open to people that might have a, a little bit of belief in some kind of force of, of goodness in this world. And honestly, I'm a little sympathetic. I mean, it, I love the idea that the mitzvot and the Torah has a big humanistic element. Of course, I, I do believe in God and I believe in I'm an old fashioned God that God can. <laughs> see what I'm doing and listens to my prayers and is even influenced by, you know, human beings, which is hard to understand. I like the idea of let's think about the religion also as, as a humanistic, as something that we care for human beings. And sometimes when we overemphasize God, we de-emphasize, you know, like we said earlier on, our relationship between human beings, like Rabbi Akiva's students, I'm sure they were very respectful of God, but are they respectful of the human beings that they encounter? So I am sympathetic to that. And I, I further reading, you should, everyone should read Rabbi Arthur Green, who calls himself a monist, which is also, I'm not totally understanding, but he has a new book out, The Well of Living Insight, comments on the Sidur. And his idea is like, so everything is kind of connected to God. And Kind of a little bit what we've been talking about here. You know, even the the worst people in some way they're connected to God, except sort of God is hidden 
in in so many of us and in especially in people that are doing evil things. Uh, so the idea is to try to bring out the oneness of God. I'm sympathetic to humanism, humanistic Judaism, because it needs to be emphasized also, but not to the exclusion of connection to God. Yeah, maybe what we'll do is I'll reach out to this guy and get him on the podcast because I, I would assume that between the two of us, we've got about a thousand questions on yeah. what it means. That's a great idea. That would be really very interesting. And look, I, I, there is a way also, and John Levinson, who is a professor at Harvard, has a real understanding of that, that the afterlife is something you can understand as a humanist, because the idea is that we, we, we're, we're particular when we're in this world, each individual, we have our own individuality. When we die, we sort of go back to the, the oneness and we become one with God or with the world, with, with everything. So you can really be a humanistic Jew and still believe in the soul and still believe in etern the eternal soul and still believe in, in the afterlife. I'm not sure that that was talked about so much at that funeral, but I think it is important to think about that this life is not the end of our journey. However you want to understand the continuation of our journey might even be just by the legacy that we leave, but I wouldn't want to think that this is the end of our journey. Right, because then why not subtract morals and ethics altogether if at the end of the day we're worm food, right? Then why should I be the worst possible yeah. version of myself that exists? Why shouldn't I steal when I can live a crazy hedonistic life? Hey, this doesn't sound so bad, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so what's our view on this? You know, you you had met you had kind of pushed their view. What's what's our view on Tzchias Amesim, sort of afterlife and reincarnation? Give us a few minutes on that. Well, we believe Judaism does believe in the eternal soul, and that it not so clear what what exactly that means, but it does very much believe in not only that the soul is eternal but that there is an afterlife. There is, there is life after death. There's, there's a resurrection of the dead that, that will happen. And one of the things that's so important about that is that it shows that the physical body is not something that's disgusting. The physical body is something that is, that is holy and that is an amazing special vehicle, vessel for the soul. And so therefore the belief that people will actually return, like return the zombies, you know, but really in a in a much more beautiful. You're not looking like those guys. Right, right. It just shows that who we are in this world is important. I think that's a good balance between the individuality and the universality of people. That in some ways our tradition says that God created us Bitsalmo in God's image, but in our own images. We got to be our own selves. We can't just be followers. We got to be our own selves. And therefore, that's the idea of returning life after death, the, the resurrection, is that we come back as individuals. But also, this idea is we're part of a great collective. And we have to be part of a great God and oneness in this world. And so I think there's a real balance between the two. But again, Going back to the yurt site, the year where, where we believe that the soul gets closer and closer to God, in some ways we believe, and I think there was a little bit of this in Star Wars, that 
when someone dies, almost their influence on our world, we always say, you know, their memory should be a blessing. Their influence grows every year rather than wanes, but grows. Right. Obi-Wan said that, I think, right? If you kill me, it'll make me stronger. Right, right. The Torah, on the other hand, says, this is the world where you can do mitzvot. Hayom lasotam. Do mitzvot now. But, but you know, their influence will be eternal. Wow. What a heavy episode. But John, we need to end on a lighter note. So you had <laughs> mentioned to me about the beautiful blessing to say over budding trees or something like that. Yeah, that's right. You know, it always seems to be there's always these quirky Jewish things that sneak up on me. So I'm, you know, the expression, I'm 52 years old and I just found out about this. I'm zero days old and I found out about Birkos Ha-Ilyanos. Ilanos, yes. There oh, you go. Like Elon, yeah. It's Elon, a, right. Plural yeah. of Elon, which is another word for tree. It's yeah. kind of, we have eights and we have Elon. I'm not sure the distinction, but we have two words for a tree. Right. Uh, oh, you want me to answer that? I don't know. But yeah, I think. A rabbi. You know, I, I think eights can be any kind of wood. So eights is more like a wood, but it could mean a tree. But Elon is sort of a tall tree. You know, honestly, I think on a happy note, what is this bracha all about? And why did it take me 52 years to figure out that this even existed? Yeah, it's a beautiful blessing that we say blessings on food. That's mainly food and mitzvot. But there are a lot of blessings that are, should be said on natural phenomena. So like lightning and thunder and seeing the ocean and Isn't there one part seeing an ugly person? Yeah, there is. Yeah, and we should in another episode we should talk about those. I had a I had a nice twist on that also, you know. But it, you know, I think we've kind of we've lost our way a little bit. That we're just used to saying blessings on mainly food and maybe things that are very close to us. But I think that you know it, the word Elon is more of a rabbinic word. Eights is more of a biblical word, and Elon. There is some negativity in the rabbinic literature about being distracted by trees. And if you see a beautiful tree and you say, mana e ilanze, if you see a tree that oh, it distracts you. So that's I, from that's from Avos, right? Got it. Yeah, there you go. So I think that because there's a little ambivalence like towards nature outside in our tradition, like, no, just focus on your learning, focus on the internal stuff. I think this one got a little bit of a short drift, but but it is an essential blessing to say when you see a fruit tree that is flowering in the month of Nisan and, you know, sort of like a rainbow, there's a blessing on the rainbow that, again, these are things that are part of nature. And it reminds us that Judaism cares about nature. It's not just a progressive 28th, 21st century idea to care about nature, but we're bonded to it. So I guess we're all tree huggers now. There you go. There you go. Absolutely. And in fact, it's funny, all of these pamphlets that I see on the internet about saying the bracha and all the little tweaks and things you should be thinking about when you do the bracha, all of them inevitably are from these local communities where they actually list the fruit trees and like on the corner of Russian elm, go to this one, you'll see an apple tree. And here you'll see this kind of tree. It's actually kind of funny. Yeah, I think a lot of the trees that are flowering are not fruit trees. And the Torah 
and the rabbis give a lot of more respect to trees that actually produce fruit. Though we like all trees are good, but so therefore, yeah. And, and I had in my synagogue where I pray daven during the week, someone said, hey, come to my house. You know, I'm here, here, and there's a beautiful tree. And he has a picture of his rabbi saying the blessing at that tree. So uh, it's a it's a great source of pride. I'm looking at one now where it actually distinguishes between front and backyard. So this is going out to the entire community. It lists someone's address and it says, you know, apple, cherry, pear trees in this dude's backyard. I just had this image of a truck pulling up or a bus pulling up of like 50 people coming to those poor guys' backyard and <laughs> giving the bracha. Yeah, it's it, it's nice that we're a little recapturing our love of nature. I remember, I remember one of our congregants in Anshishalm, Eric, took me out to his tree also. And I said the bracha there a couple of years ago. I must admit, I'm I'm a home buddy. So I just sit at home and want to stay at home. But we like going for walks with Rachel. But anyway, I think it's, it's a good way to end this podcast in a very positive light that as much as this is the season of Israel Memorial Day this week and and Israel's going through some difficult challenges and we had last week Yom HaShoah and the Omer but this is the season of the flowering of our redemption of Israel and the flowering of trees so it's a beautiful beautiful positive season and we got to be positive and hopeful and optimistic yeah, and it goes something like this. Blessed art thou, Lord of God, King of the universe, who has made nothing lacking in his world and created it in goodly creatures and goodly trees to give mankind pleasure. Pleasure, isn't that what it's all about? <laughs> optimism. Well, I'm glad we're able to leave on a happy note because the rest of it was pretty heavy. <laughs> yeah, and pleasure in a good way. We're supposed to enjoy this world. You know, there is uh, there's something about hedonism that, you should enjoy the good things, like being a good person, not enjoy being a bad person, but enjoy this world. And hopefully, you know, that will lead to better things. So if you take nothing away from this podcast is don't be a bad person, be a good person and enjoy it while you can. You got it, John. This is a pleasure. Asher, same here. Looking forward to next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of a rabbi and a lawyer walk into a bar. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to get our next episode delivered right to you. If you really like us, please consider leaving a review and sharing this with a friend. That would really help our efforts. And finally, to contact us and for more show-related information, please visit our website, rabbilawyerbar.com. Special thanks to our production team, David Stone for the introduction music, Andrew Bauman for the artwork, and I'm Nicholas Tantillo. This podcast is co-produced with Front and Social Studios in Chicago. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent. Copyrighted material, all rights reserved.